Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Let's read John 1, 1 to 5, and then also verses 9 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John brings together creation and incarnation. It says he brought all things into being. Jesus Christ we're talking about. And he specifically details new creation. And how this new creation, this new birth, through the one who was incarnate, the one who was born of flesh and blood, is redeeming the world. He says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God those who believe in his name. And notice he says, who were not born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men. That is, God is giving a new birth through this one who is incarnate. And so we can say, here is creation's completion. Here is recreation. The renewal and redemption of all things through Jesus Christ. As Maximus puts it, the word of God, very God, wills that the mystery of his incarnation be actualized always and in all things. That is what God is doing in Christ. He's doing for the world. And this is the great and hidden mystery. This is the blessed end for which all things were brought into existence. That is, I don't think this is a stopgap measure. This was God's plan from eternity. This is the divine purpose conceived before the beginning of the world, he says. You know, in the beginning, here was the word. The word was there. In defining it, we would say that this is the mystery. This is the preconceived goal for which everything exists. 
The person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is what God is doing, is what God is up to in creation. And so maybe this formula provides a kind of interpretive key to creation and everything that exists. It establishes, I think, the mode in which interpretation, that is our understanding, occurs. God has come to us, not in a theory, not in a principle, but in a person, in the person of Christ. There is a kind of Christologic, and I think that we begin with Christ, thinking with Christ. We cannot turn this into an abstraction, a principle, but we're referring throughout to the person of Christ. And I think there is the constant danger of mistaking the words, you know, the, the theories for the word Jesus Christ, the letter, the principle, the abstraction, the form, the theory, threaten to displace the person. And on the other hand, the material, you know, the substance, the elemental, they threaten from the other direction. That is, we might mistake him merely for a man. Here, creator and creation are brought together. And so we don't want to simply focus on the flesh and blood and miss the person of Jesus, nor do we want to simply focus on deity. All things hold together, whether symbolic or material, in his person. And so every event, every point of creation, every true idea is contained in the incarnate Christ. Let's put it that way. He is a flesh and blood person, but even the terms flesh and blood, as John uses them, and really even the term person, are comprehended. We understand what a person is in Christ. We understand what creation is in Christ. He's not simply another instance of a person, but here is the true person. Here is true personhood. Individuals are comprehended in him. And so creation is incarnation. Means that all things are framed and comprehended in the Christ event. And one way of, of approaching this, this difference, I think, is in regard to the Lord's Supper. In the Christian churches, we're a little bit ambiguous about the Lord's Supper. You know, about baptism, we're actually very strong at the idea that a person is encountering God, that they're transformed, and we know that there is a significance to the Lord's Supper. We don't just want to make it symbolic, but we also don't want to go with transubstantiation or consubstantiation. And so the communion encompasses all the movements of the incarnation. Christ took on flesh and blood, that is. He was born. I think that's represented here. And in his dying and being raised... He shared, and we share then, in this movement of his self-giving love. That's the picture, that God is made accessible through Christ. And the arguments surrounding communion, I think, betray the fallacy of reducing the Christ event to an abstraction. 
We do not want to lose, we do not want to miss the person of Christ. And so here is the point at which incarnation takes hold in creation. That's what we're really saying about the church, right? That's what we're saying about our participation in Christ. And yet the focus historically is on the bread, upon the juice. Uh, arguments about transubstantiation in Roman Catholicism or consubstantiation in Lutheranism or in a, on a pure symbolism in Zwinglianism. I think they all miss the Christ event. They miss the person of Christ confusing the significance of the elements with the person. And of course, for hundreds of years, the church didn't dogmatize a particular definition of the Lord's Supper. And then in AD 1059, Pope Nicholas required the theologian Berenger to publicly denounce a mere symbolic understanding of the Holy Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper. And he had to confess that the consecrated bread and wine are literally the body and blood of Christ. He says, they are in truth sensibly and not only sacramentally touched by the hands of the priest, but are broken and chewed by the teeth of the faithful. Ever since, Western theologians have creatively reinterpreted this. Either that or they've ignored it or they've denounced it. Actually, before this, Augustine just said, well, the Lord's Supper is symbolic, it's spiritual. And so only a century later, Peter Lombard would construe this understanding to say virtually the opposite. But the argument is still about the elements. Aquinas says the risen body of Christ is not present locally in the sacrament. It is present in the manner of the substance, the substance of Christ's risen body, having replaced the substance of the bread and wine. He says that thus invisible, untouchable, imperceptible, having no contact with its material surroundings, and can only be intellectually apprehended. Okay, I think a lot of that we can agree with, that we recognize Christ. Christ is here. Luther, unfortunately, takes us a step backward. And the one thing that Luther liked about Roman Catholicism was Pope Nicholas's pronouncement. He moves us backward in many ways, but also forward in another way. And that is that in his understanding, Christ makes himself universally present. In his transcendence, Luther says, God stands before all of creation as if it were one place. He apprehends the world as one place. He addresses the world as one place. And so by incarnation and resurrection, Christ Jesus now, now also enjoys the divine relationship to creation. He has ascended to God's place, and God's place is wherever God is. Christ is thus free to make himself bodily available to the world at any given location, at any given time, for all the world is but one place to him. I'm quoting Luther. We could almost agree with Luther 
depending on what we mean by the word body. He says the specific place where he has chosen to make himself present, the place where he has promised to be found and available to his people, and this place can be any place. Let's say this slightly differently. That Christ can be any place. That Christ is omniscient. Heaven is wherever Jesus is. And where Jesus is, is the throne of God. If we invoke the idea of Maximus to correct Luther, we can say the word of God, very God, wills that the mystery of his incarnation be actualized always and in all things. And that actualization is being carried out in us, right? That's what we believe. All flesh and blood, all bread and wine, every human body, really begins and ends with the incarnation. Incarnation is not the transformation of bread and wine into flesh and blood. Rather, here is creation as incarnation. Here is the Christ event. Flesh and blood do not constitute the person of Christ. Rather, Christ in his incarnation and creation constitutes the flesh and blood. That is, that the person of Christ precedes all of these things. The Lord's Supper, we could say, is the enactment of the body of Christ or the person of Christ within believers. Literal reduction to literal flesh and blood or symbolic abstraction, I think they both do the same thing in reifying the sign they're focused on the elements and missing the person of Christ, missing the purpose of the meal. And the point, of course, is in the Lord's Supper is to destroy what would reduce an abstract. That is, what we're doing as Christians is to get rid of that which killed him, which was the attempted destruction of the person and a reduction to the flesh and blood. And so the material elements do not constitute Christ but the Christ event incorporates these elements into incarnation and personhood Christ personhood is the condition of creation and incorporation our incorporation into this condition it's not an abstraction it's not a reduction it's not a symbolization but this is the reality enacted in Christians shared and celebrated in the love feast of the body of Christ. So transubstantiation, consubstantiation, Zwinglian symbolism, they miss the person for the sign. They fall short of the person in the material form and they miss the person in the pure abstraction. The Lord's Supper is the center of a founding of a new community, a new economics in which we share and have a common purse in the early church but a new ethics of sacrificial love is instituted that's the sign it is the mystery of the incarnation actualized this is the great and hidden mystery this is the blessed end for which all things were brought into existence this is the divine purpose conceived before the beginning of beings and in defining it, we would say that this is the mystery 
preconceive the goal for the sake of which everything exists. And with this view, to this end, God creates. Creation in incarnation, enacted in incorporation into the person of Christ. This is the significance of the Lord's Supper. This is the significance of the person of Christ. And so in this supper, the church has been given a physical, spiritual, historical, temporal enactment of Christ. I think all of those elements come together. What Christ did, we do in the continuation of the incarnation. Isn't that what we're saying? That we become Christ. We become little Christ. The Lord's Supper, baptism, the church. We ourselves are an extension of Christ's mission into the world, of his self-offering. In the love feast celebration is the celebration of Christ, of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. Christ gives himself entirely to us and we perform, we could say, the incarnation by becoming his body and giving ourselves in the same fashion that he gave himself. And so the self-giving love, this is really, look at Philippians 2, 5 to 11. This self-giving love that is the movement of the incarnation, well, that's also the movement of love. Paul says, and notice this opening line is key, have this attitude in yourselves. He's saying, imitate Christ, be little Christ, do what Christ did. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this attitude. Imitate this. Take up this cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That is, that through his death there comes about the resurrection, the ascension, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so Paul says, imitate Christ. Do what he did. We offer our sacrifice together, the sacrifice of our lives. We are made his body through our sacrifice. So the point of incarnation, you know, the point of the birth of Jesus is taken up, I think, in the arguments about the Lord's Supper. The, the point is not to see how closely we can identify the cracker and the juice, the bread and the cup with Jesus. The point is how closely we can identify ourselves with Jesus. We are to be like him. Our lives are to be identified completely with him. This is what it means to be Christ-like. 
The identity with God in Christ, through Christ, is duplicated in the Christian. The Christian, according to Maximus, according to the early church, becomes Christ. They will be spiritually vivified by their union with Christ. And so become living images. This is what Paul is saying. We see the Christ in the body of Christ, the church. We become one with him through grace. We become Christ himself, the continuation of the incarnation. And so this is not metaphorical. This is not analogous. But it is describing a complete identification between the disciples, between us and our Lord. This is the significance of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. This is the significance of the Christian life. This is the significance of the Lord's Supper, and it is upon this significance that we should focus. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.